Sometimes going to the grocery store can be chaotic. There doesn't seem to be enough time to check the list, make sure everything is there, search for the best prices, and take the time to make sure you get the best quality meat. So let ButcherBox help you out. Giving you peace of mind, ButcherBox delivers high-quality meat and seafood that you can trust straight to your door. No grocery carts required. Humanely raised, no antibiotics or hormones, 100% grass-fed, free-range, and crate-free, what more can you ask for? What about free shipping, customized box plans, exclusive member deals, recipe inspirations, tips, and tricks? You really can't go wrong with ButcherBox. Sign up at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash morning cup and use code morning cup to choose your free for a year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee, by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. In a scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cup of murder. There's something very exciting about a date, especially in the beginning of a relationship. There's butterflies, first times and the prospect of a budding relationship all happening at once in special little moments. On August 21st, 1990, a pair of couples went on a date that ended with one going to a lover's lane, a decision that would have deadly consequences. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. On August 21st, 1990, 22-year-old Cheryl Henry and 21-year-old Andy Atkinson decided to go on a double date with Cheryl's sister to a place called Bayou Mamas in Houston, Texas. The couple had only known each other for about two weeks. Cheryl was home for the summer from her classes at Stephen F. Austin State University, while Andy, whose birthday was just days away, had just moved back home after finishing school out in North Carolina. 
meaning their relationship was still in that exciting beginning phase, which is why it came as no surprise when Cheryl's sister and her date, ready to call it a night around 11 p.m., Cheryl and Andy decided to keep their date going with a trip to a local lover's lane. Unfortunately, it was a date they would never make it home from. And by the next morning, when neither came home and neither showed up to work, both families reported them missing. Police began their search that very day, and as the sun faded into night, a Houston patrol officer stumbled upon Andy's car parked at the end of Enclave Round, the road the pair parked on the night before, seats still reclined and keys in the auxiliary position so the music continued to play. The inside of the car was covered in what appeared to be fresh blood, so the officer ran the plate through the system and found that it belonged to a man who had been reported missing. Backup was called and tracking dogs were sent out to search the nearby woods, where, about 200 yards away, lay a golf club with three balls pointed in the direction of Cheryl Henry's body, hidden beneath the boards of a rotting fence with a $20 bill lying next to her. Cheryl's clothing had been cut from her body and discarded in a nearby heap, her hands bound behind her back so she couldn't fight her rape, and her throat slashed when the assailant was finished. After collecting what evidence they could from her scene, the darkening sky forced officers to pause the search for Andy. It resumed at dawn, and he was quickly found just 100 yards from Cheryl, fully clothed, hands bound with similar rope, and seated up against a tree trunk before his throat, like his dates, was violently slashed almost to the point of decapitation. Police were able to rule out robbery as a motive pretty quickly when they realized that Cheryl's purse was still in the car and Andy still had his wallet on his person and DNA taken from the scene didn't seem to match anyone they knew or tested it against. Because of that, their murders quickly became part of a long list of cold cases just waiting for some small break to reignite their investigation, which is what happened 12 years later when the Houston PD DNA lab was closed and hundreds of DNA samples had to be retested as a result. Houston PD was confident that they had done all they could in Andy and Cheryl's case, confident the DNA had been tested properly. But when it was independently tested in 2004, it got a hit that connected their case to the unsolved rape of an exotic dancer. On June 20th, 1990, just a few months before the murders, an unnamed victim left her job at a place called Gigi's at around 2 a.m., and made her way to her boyfriend's house. She arrived at an empty house. He had already left for work, so she ate dinner in the living room and then went upstairs to go to bed. As she approached the bedroom, a stranger came out with a stocking over his face, dark clothing reminiscent of a uniform, and gloves on his hands, one of which was holding a gun. The stranger, who seemed to know her boyfriend's name, asking, where's Randy, as he began his attack, duct taped her hands behind her back and placed another piece over her eyes and mouth before putting a pillowcase over her head. She was then raped, robbed of the cash she had in her purse, and abandoned as he ran off into the night. When the police were finally called to the scene, she told them that, while he was raping her, he told her that she wasn't very observant because, if she had been, she would have noticed that he was wearing a military uniform. Police quickly wrote this off as an attempt to throw her off and that it was likely a security uniform instead. Now, while these cases didn't initially seem connected, 
the DNA match forced investigators to look at them with fresh eyes. When they did, they realized that Cheryl worked at a topless bar similar to Gigi's called Rick's Cabaret. And Andy, went home from school, occasionally worked the door at another club in the area called Dream Street, where his father worked as a manager. Realizing that there was a chance the suspect either worked at one of these clubs or was at least a frequent customer, investigators went back to the victim to ask if she remembered enough about her attacker to help with a composite sketch. Despite wearing fishnets over his face at the time of her rape and the decade that had just passed, the victim was able to remember enough to create a sketch. He was a white man in his late 20s to mid-30s, about 6 feet tall, 180 pounds with brown eyes, olive skin, and possibly a mustache. Unfortunately, this sketch, while helpful, hasn't yielded any new connections. In 2008, police, hoping to reinvigorate the case, released a handwritten anonymous note sent to them in March of 2001 and postmarked in Houston. It read, If you want to know who killed C. Henry and A. Atkinson, it will cost $100,000, with instructions to reply in the classified section of the Houston Chronicle on a specific date and warning that a lawyer would be hired to, quote, make sure you play straight. The police answered in the Chronicle, but nothing came of it. They believe that the person who wrote the letter was not the killer, but a person who knows information about them, but did not think they would ever reach back out to police. In 2017, true crime blogger, true crime diva, wrote a post connecting a possible third victim named Tara Suzette Breckenridge, who disappeared on August 4th, 1992, after leaving the men's club where she worked as a waitress, a club just a short distance from Bayou Mama's. She was last seen talking with a security guard at the club and was never seen again. Her case, like Cheryl and Andy's and the unnamed rape victims, remains unsolved. Whether the cases, which do have inconsistent MOs, are connected remains to be seen. Throughout the years, police have gotten a number of calls about Andy and Cheryl's case, claiming to get about one new lead every year. Each lead is followed up on in hopes that the case never runs too cold. Maybe, hopefully, one year the lead will actually bring the case to a close. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to what terrible thing happened on August 22nd. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember... Stay safe.